Hello and welcome to the Wide Teams Podcast, the podcast for geographically dispersed teams and remote workers, located on the web at wideteams.com and on Twitter at wideteams. This is episode 54. I am your host, Avdi Grimm. This episode of the Wide Teams Podcast is made possible by generous support from Argyle, offering professional services with niche focus in QA strategy and automated web testing. You can find out more about Argyle at A-R-R-G-Y-L-E dot com. Joining me today is Stephen Baker. Stephen Baker is a longtime remote worker and a friend of mine. Stephen, thanks for uh, taking the time. Thanks for having me, Avdi. It's uh, great to finally be on the podcast after over 50 episodes. <laughs> um, so, Stephen... Uh, Tell us a little bit about uh, you, uh, well, who you are and uh, your background with remote work. Okay, so um, I've been writing software for uh, between 10 and 20 years, depending on when you, when you count. I usually say 15, it's what the difference. I have a focus on testing and developing high-quality software, and for the last 8 to 10 years, I've been doing nearly 100% of my work from my home office, and uh, I've been... At all levels of the development process, I've been working with teams to help them improve working remotely. I've been leading teams. I've been just, you know, a code monkey that works from home in his pajamas. And uh, that's what I've been doing for the last, uh, I guess it's been about, uh, yeah, for the most of the last eight, eight to ten years. Now, you've been uh, you've been doing some working from the road lately, haven't you? Yeah, so over the summer... Uh, I live on Vancouver Island on the west coast of Canada, and my mom lives on uh, the eastern shore of Nova Scotia, which is as far east as you can go without getting your feet wet. And uh, we loaded up our truck in a 30-foot trailer and drove across the country, The uh, and I worked the entire way. I didn't – there was no time taken off of work. There was just, uh, you know, sometimes some uh, – uh, manipulation of hours so that I make, uh, because I was crossing also four or five time zones, uh, in the process. We, uh, we, so I worked while my wife was driving from the passenger seat very often. Uh, I also, uh, did some work from, uh, you know, the various places we stopped from restaurants, uh, from, you know, rest stops along the way. And, uh, also then at the other end while we were at my mom's, uh, for the, you know, the six or eight weeks we were there. Uh, I worked the whole time and even traveled to a conference from that coast. And uh, now, which tell me a little bit about the, the team that you're working on or the teams that you're working on. So uh, my my main team that I'm working with is uh, I, I'm leading a team at a company called VersaPay. We do uh, bank transfers in Canada. We transfer move uh, money between bank accounts for businesses, basically. The team has uh, six, five developers and uh, a designer who also works in JavaScript uh, from time to time. We uh, uh, Three of us live on Vancouver Island, but an hour and a half away from each other in each direction. We're spread out across the island, so not close enough that we would reasonably want to commute. And uh, the, other, the other three developers work from various places around uh, the mainland of British Columbia. And then the rest of the team, which the non-technical staff, actually work out of the office in Toronto. Okay. 
And uh, how does that work out? I mean, um, it sounds like you're on a given day, you're pretty widely distributed. Yeah, it works out really well. And actually, um, from in the, our, our default mode of operation, we are actually theoretically pretty close with three guys in Vancouver and three of us on Vancouver Island. But uh, it's pretty typical for us to travel and work at the same time, uh, as I did this summer going east and traveling across several time zones. Um, we have to coordinate work with uh, the office in Toronto, which is obviously, they get started three hours earlier than most of the people on this coast. And then uh, the other guys that are in Vancouver very often wind up working from other places. I think currently they're in Costa Rica. They've been there for a little while. Um, they like to ski, so in the wintertime they, they typically work from Whistler or Mount Washington or one of the many ski areas from here. And uh, in the spring and summer, they very often work from Tofino, which is on the westernmost coast of Vancouver Island, uh, for surfing and things like that. So they travel around a lot uh, during the course of their usual work. And the interesting thing about that is very often we don't know where they're working from on any given day, and we really don't care. They mm. just, oh, by the way, we were in Tofino surfing last week. <laughs> and and uh, now how do you keep all this coordinated? Are you doing like daily meetings? Yes, yeah, so we have a stand-up at uh, 10.30 a.m. Pacific, and mm-hmm. basically it's not – I'm, I'm not a fan of, you know, mandating or having heavy requirements on things like that. Uh, the we, we typically like to come together at stand-up. 10.30 a.m. allows us to uh, not interfere with lunchtime for the Eastern Time Zone folks, and it allows us to uh, sleep in if we want to for the Western Time Zone folks. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just it, – it's for – about 10 of us, including the business people. Uh, if you don't show up, it's okay. We, that's one of the most important things about a team is trust. We trust that if you're not at stand up, you have a good reason and, uh, we'll communicate in other ways. Uh, we also have hip chat, which we use. Uh, a lot of teams use campfire. We use hip chat. Uh, I think the other members of the team like to have the private messaging functionality from time to time, mm-hmm. uh, sort of compartmentalized discussion, which is, um, which is, you know, Good for not bogging down the general, uh, the general conversation. And, uh, so we use HipChat as well. And then we also have mailing lists as well, although we use those fairly infrequently since, uh, tools like HipChat and Campfire keep the, uh, the rolling, uh, history. Mm-hmm. And how do you decide who's working on what? Uh, we use Pivotal Tracker for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that works out pretty well. Uh, we have a, we don't have many much in the way of rules on our team, uh, but the guidelines we like to follow are please take the next story at the top of the backlog uh, so that, you know, we don't have people picking their favorite things. Uh, right. You know, when it's when it's time to start something new, just start the next one at the top of the backlog. And uh, the other interesting thing that we do to, uh, to manage the sort of distribution of work is we rotate through the team. Everybody takes, uh, we work in two-week iterations. Sorry, I didn't cover that earlier. We work in two-week iterations, which we will be moving to one week uh, shortly. And at the beginning of an iteration, we rotate to another person who will take on support and QA responsibilities. And so the support person is usually responsible for, or is responsible for anything that is customer support related. Uh, so any bugs or any downtime that comes in, they are the go-to person for any of the business people when they have a problem. Mm-hmm. They're also responsible for going through Pivotal Tracker and any tickets that are in accept-reject phase to QA them and push them through to uh, production. We also, uh, that person is also responsible uh, for managing deployments. So uh, some new features have been, uh, we've done the code review, our features have been merged, and now they're ready to 
to be deployed to staging, the QA support person is responsible for that as well. Mm-hmm. You, you talked about taking the, the whatever's the top story off of the queue. One issue that I've seen with distributed teams is it can lead to kind of knowledge siloing, which can make it harder for them to, you know, f- to be in a, in a state where anybody can take any ticket off of, uh, off of the system. How do you uh, fight that kind of uh, knowledge, you know, different people knowing more about different parts of the system? That's actually a really good point. And, uh, the, the rule, and I mean, it's a very soft rule, but it's, it's sort of the rule. Uh, it's more about being nice to your coworkers and not taking the good stories first. Um, but the rule is there because, uh, we don't want, we want to avoid having knowledge silos. And so if there's a story and it's the next one on the list and I'm not the most qualified person to take on that story, I still take it and I ask for help mm-hmm. from coworkers. Um, very often it'll be, uh, you know, I need, uh, there's another guy on the team that may be more, um, more experienced with how the intricacies of moving the money between bank accounts in Canada. And so when I have a story that involves that, I involve that person so that the knowledge is transferred. And okay. so, uh, the, the take the, be sure to take the next story off the top of the list is something that we do to avoid knowledge silos. Uh, the rotation of the QA and support person is another one of those things that we do to avoid knowledge silos. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also don't have, you know, a, a fair, a strict policy of vacation for people that want to take it. Uh, last week on Thursday, one of my coworkers said, I'd really like to have next week off because I'm not really having a good week this week and I'd like to have some time off. And that gave us about 24 hours to say, okay, this thing that you're working on is really important. We need you to move it to somebody else. And then, so spend, spend your day tomorrow transferring that knowledge to somebody else and then take the week off. Mm-hmm. Uh, Basically, we just don't let, we just pretend there are no knowledge silos. Mm-hmm. It almost becomes, uh, I, I guess as they say, a self-fulfilling prophecy. Right, self-fulfilling. Yeah, so you, if you pretend there are no knowledge silos and don't operate as if a knowledge silo is a constraint, then eventually they just disappear. That's very interesting. When you loop somebody else in on something that you aren't um, as familiar with, how closely are you working with them? Are you doing some pair programming? Or are you just uh, conferencing with them a little bit or, or what? Uh, we do both. Um, we don't do as much pairing as I would like to. I, a lot of us, we, we prefer to be doing, you know, 100% pairing, but it's just, it's, it is constraining. It is one of the things that we find constraining about remote development. So, uh, we definitely hop on Skype. Skype is our, is our go-to tool for that. Everybody's mm-hmm. always available on Skype. And so we conference with that to ask questions and stuff like that. Skype has screen sharing built in now. When we need to pair, I would like to use a team, a tool called TeamViewer, but it's extremely expensive. And uh, it's I think it's about $750 uh, for uh, an individual commercial license. And it is probably the best tool for screen sharing I've ever used, but it is really expensive. And yeah. I don't like to use it without paying for it. Yeah, agreed on both counts. It's it's uh, very good, but very expensive. Yeah, and uh, so we uh, sometimes we use iChat screen sharing um, if we need both uh, control from both sides is sort of the tool. It's not ideal. It's not as good as TeamViewer, but it is. It's at a better price point for us. Mm-hmm. So tell me about the um, the the philosophy that led you to lead. You know, you said you've been working remotely for what seven eight years. Uh, was that an intentional thing? Yeah, I started thinking about the time that people spend commuting. Well, it, it actually sort of was accidental at first. Um, I, I like to, I don't like living in, in big, huge cities, and we only have a few of them in Canada. We have, you know, Toronto and Montreal and Vancouver. 
um, which aren't even really huge by American standards, I guess. But I don't like living in those cities. I like living off the beaten path a little bit where, you know, in a, you know, 50,000 people where there's, uh, you know, all the services are there, but it's just not a huge city. And so there's just not a lot of software development work and especially interesting software development work because the demand just isn't there for the jobs because the, the population is lower. And so it's, it's almost, it started out almost as a necessity, but it became a lifestyle that I grew accustomed to. And when it came time to start working in an office again and going to an office every day, I found myself sitting on, you know, on the train or in the car for an hour and a half in each direction, thinking I'm losing three hours of my day. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, by the time, so now when I, when I travel to Toronto, I go into the VersaPay office on the train from where I stay, which is about an hour and a half north of Toronto. And so I have to drive for an hour and then I get on the train for an hour. And by the time I get into the office, I've been on the tr- in the car and on the train for two hours. By the time I get into the office, I'm like, all right, well, that's 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 my day. I'm I'm done working for the day because it's just so exhaust. It's mentally exhausting for me. By the time I get into the office, I'm not really prepared to do anything anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's sort of how it came around. It was uh, it was it was at first almost necessity. The work that I was finding was not where I was living, and then it became this is the way I prefer to do things. And uh, by the time you know I got married and had kids, I can't imagine not being in the house with my kids. You know, when my kids come home from school, I can't imagine not going to pick up my my kids at school at two thirty or being mm-hmm. able to if I want to. Um, I don't pick them up every day, but knowing that I can is really important to me. Mm-hmm. And if if I I think every day that you know if I had a a quote unquote real job where I went into an office every day, I would be, I'd get up at seven o'clock in the morning. Um, I'd leave the house and I would get home at seven o'clock at night and my kids would be in bed an hour later. I wouldn't get as much time with them. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I just feel like my quality of life would suffer. On the flip side, I feel like I talked about the advantages for me, but I, on the flip side, I think for the people that engage me, the advantages are huge as well. They're not losing two hours of my most precious brain energy in the morning, which I find is best for me in the, in the morning, they're not losing that to a commute. And when I don't feel like I can, you know, my, I'm just, I'm sure you, you've experienced where when you're thinking about a problem, you can overthink it and you need to step back a little bit. And when I'm home, I can step back a little bit. I can go down to the garage and work on my car for a half an hour. And then those problems that I'm trying to internalize and solve are in the back of my brain and the solution comes to me and I go back into my office and I work out the solution and then I can, I always know that I can just separate myself from that problem just a little bit. Mm-hmm. And people who engage me wind up getting, you know, quite a bit more time out of me than they would if I was in an office from nine to five. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, as someone who, who lives, you know, in a, like you said, in not at one of the big tech hubs, and you're talking about people that engage you. How do you go about finding the the business? Well, Twitter has has really helped. Uh, I mean, years ago, I've sort of I traveled around a lot of conferences and things, and, and spoke at conferences, and I met a lot of people that way. Um, writing a popular testing framework really helps with that as well. Uh, so for most of the last five or six years, people have come to me. Um, and said, we have this specific problem and we'd like you to, you know, maybe help us with it. And over the time, I've developed a reputation for delivering, you know, for focusing on quality and testability and, uh, and, and delivering with those goals in mind. And so most of the time people come to me, uh, lately 
like in the last year, year and a half, I found that basically I can just write on Twitter, hey, I have some availability. Mm-hmm. Like, and with usually within 10 or 15 minutes, somebody comes back and says, okay, we want you for this project. Are you interested? And I, mm-hmm. so it's, it's basically been a matter of either people coming to me or, or me reaching out on Twitter. So is that what you'd recommend? Like if, if somebody wants to forge a similar career with, you know, you know, with that kind of flexibility to, to work from wherever they are, what, what, what would your recommendations be that for, you know, making them, that making themselves hireable, I guess? Oh, uh, conferences are invaluable for that because it's the, any of those networking experiences. Uh, the only reason Twitter works for me is because I have, you know, several hundred Twitter followers and it grows every time I go to a conference. I have 50 new Twitter followers. And for me, those are very often, you know, 750 people that I consider friends in some mm-hmm. capacity, but they're also people that are in my circles. And so when I reach out on Twitter, I'm reaching several hundred people that are in my industry that I have met in person before very often. Um, so I would recommend first and foremost to develop your personal networks. And I don't like the whole business networking sort of uh, vocabulary, but I definitely think that, you know, go to conferences and meet people is mm-hmm. really and uh, develop those personal connections. And then uh, the work will find you. Mm-hmm. You're, you're leading a team. You uh, have been thinking about, disperse team issues for a long time. What are your, what are your like, your like key points in, you know, in how you, how you approach organizing a team, um, uh, facilitating, um, encouraging a team that's, that's working remotely where, where, you know, maybe not all of the people on the team, uh, have been doing it as long as you have. Yeah. It's, it's really important to keep a culture of openness and trust. It's really uh, a lot of people when they first start out with remote working or a lot of teams when they start with remote working, very often they'll start with, um, okay, you can work from home one day a week or you can work from home two days a week or something like that. And what ends up happening is the people that are not comfortable with remote workers wind up micromanaging that and uh, overdoing it a little bit. The thing that you have to understand is people will do, you just have to trust your team. If you can't trust your team to do work when you're not watching them then you probably have the wrong people on your team. So trust is absolutely paramount. And then you need to have trust within your team members so that I need to know at all times when I have a problem that I can go to any one of my team members. And because I'm, we're all remote and we're very often in different time zones, that might actually be not you know, in the standard 9 to 5 workday. I actually modify my workday when I'm in the Pacific time zone to match the East Coast so that I can be available for the business people in Toronto. Mm-hmm. I actually start my day at 6 a.m. Pacific. But most people, and then actually uh, for some work, I start even earlier than that because the clients are in Europe, and uh, those days have to start at 4 a.m. Pacific Hmm. so that I have overlap with European clients. But it's really important to trust people and be trusted. And um, so that's something that's really important. One of the things that I was always a stickler for me was stand-up. The stand-up format that really drags a team down is... This is what I did yesterday, and this is what I'm doing today. And I found that a lot of people felt like they were punching the clock for yesterday. They were like, <laughs> yeah. This, or, or uh, in, in many cases, people would come to stand up with lists of things they did yesterday so they didn't have to feel, you know, like they screwed the pooch. Or so that other people, and they would just, and very often when somebody, if you have a bad day and everybody has them, you come to stand up 
in that format feeling like you have to make up excuses of the things that you did. Well, I checked my email twice or I was caught in meetings with it. With, you know, I, I was caught in meetings all day and I really had a hard time getting things done. But people would like focus on tasks and sort of blow them up. And so for us, one of the things I did early on at Versapay was said, I don't care what anybody did yesterday unless it affects my work today. So I don't mm-hmm. want to hear what you did yesterday. And what that did was that opened up the team to say, okay, if we're having a bad day, that's okay. And if we're having a good day, that's okay. Because all that matters is the work that I'm doing right now. And we stopped. Our stand-ups went from 15 minutes. For 10 people, our stand-ups went from 15 minutes to four. The format we follow right now is what are you working on right now? Mm-hmm. And what are, and then the second and less important point, what are you, what do you need from other people or what do you have that might be valuable to other people? And mm-hmm. when you get about teamwork and not about when you make your stand-up about teamwork and not about individuals, that's when, when things really move on. So stand-up is really important. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the next one is uh, a tool, utilizing your tools. HipChat and email are really important. Or Well, we use HipChat at Versapay. I prefer and use Campfire and other projects. Those tools are great. Get in the habit of reading the back scroll. Every, every time I walk away from the computer, I come back, and the first thing I do is I read the back scroll in my Campfire client and in my HipChat client so that I'm always up to date on what has happened while I was gone. And it feels like... Maybe I'm reading a whole day's worth of, of chatter and it could take a long time to do that, but you're always up to date with that and uh, w- with what's going on in your team. And the other thing that I do, and I'm probably a little bit weird for this, is uh, GitHub has R- RSS feeds for all the commits. I read every single commit that goes on any branch of any project that I'm involved in. Mm-hmm. And I read every single diff. And a lot of people think that that's absolutely crazy. And a lot of people think that it's, you know, uh, may find that it's tedious, but I know at any given time, every bit of code that anybody else on my team is touching, and I'm always available to help them. I'm not looking at it to criticize. I don't, I, I don't criticize code. I think everybody, I trust that everybody does the best they can in the situation they're in at all times. Mm-hmm. And so I don't criticize code, but I definitely say, oh, hey, I can help with this problem that this person just committed code to five minutes ago. And I always know exactly how I can help my, my teammates. And I think that that would, would really help if, if uh, more teams adopted that. How do I be involved? How can I be the most helpful to my teammates? That's a really good point. I've, I've done something similar. It can be very hard to keep up with, but I've, I've tried to do something similar on, on projects in the past where I just monitored those, those feeds and, and looked at everything that went in. And I agree that's, um, it can be, uh, a really powerful thing to do. I mean, you're, you're, I, it feels like you're, you're effectively making yourself, you know, like a connector. I mean, you're 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 making yourself sort of a nexus to to tie this distributed team together by being someone that knows everything that's going on, even though it's going on in different people's you know different places, different times. Right. And that's it's sort good of, to have. That, that's what I see as my job as you know as a leader of a team is to always know what everybody needs around me mm-hmm. and how can I help because they're they're going to come to me with, you know, uh, what can we do? I mean, obviously in many cases I have a lot more experience, um, than, than a lot of my team teammates and they're going to come to me and say, how do we solve this problem? It helps if they don't have to spend, you know, 20 or 30 minutes explaining to me where they're at. Um, right. and it's also, I can say, look, Hey, I see you're going down this road. You might want to investigate, you know, maybe this library that I've used or maybe try this little thing or something like that. And I think that if, I don't think that only the lead should be doing these things. I think that everybody on a team should be doing these things. But I think that it's most important for, uh, for, you know, somebody in a leadership position to be doing it because it's important to know where everybody's at. It's not right. always to know what is everybody working on. 
And I don't want to enforce hours. I don't want to enforce output. I don't want to enforce, I don't want to enforce anything because that doesn't help a team that, that hurts morale. I want to say, what do I have to be doing and what does my team have to be doing to be as useful as they possibly can? Mm-hmm. And that's actually the only thing that, that's the biggest difficult, difficulty we have on our team is that we have business, the, the business people are all in Toronto. Mm-hmm. They all go into the office every day. And so the thing that we don't have and that we have to encourage out of the business people is to have fewer of their conversations at somebody's desk and have them more often in communication mediums like email or on hip chat that they wouldn't otherwise have that way. Have you had any, any thoughts about encouraging them to do that? I mean, do you have any tricks for that? It's really hard, especially when you're dealing with non-technical people to get them to use technology. I mean, when I, when I go to the Toronto office, I get there and I say, wow, I really, I feel sorry for you guys that you get on a, on a train every day. When the first time I went in the office, I said, I can't imagine getting on that train every day mm-hmm. coming into the office. And three people in the office said to me, I love coming into the office. I get to come in and sit around my coworkers and things like that. And they explained how I feel close and I feel like I can always just walk over to somebody's desk and talk to them about a problem I'm having. And I said, well, I don't feel like I can't do that. I feel like everyone on my team, I just have to double click their name in Skype and I'm now having a conversation with them. Mm-hmm. My, my, the thing that I say, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of tongue in cheek about, uh, remote working is that, uh, going into an, the only reason to go into an office is if you want to smell your coworkers. <laughs> Skype, you can see them over video chat. Skype or some other way. You can't touch them because that's sexual harassment. And so the only thing left uh, is to smell them. And so that, for me, as a nerd, that's the only reason for me to go into an office. Now, that said, I do like to get together with our team, and since we do mostly live on the West Coast, uh, we do travel to Vancouver every... We try to do it about once a month where we just go over for a day, and we mostly just, you know just hang out and socialize for a day. Um, and that's just sort of the, you know, more team building than actually getting work done. And I do think that's important. I do think the offsite days are, are important. And for remote teams that are distributed around the globe, that is really expensive and can be cost prohibitive. Yeah. Yeah. True. Well, this is, these are, have been some fantastic insights. Stephen, before I let you go, where can people find out more about you and the projects that you work on uh, online? Sure. So uh, on Twitter is a great place to find me. Um, my uh, handle on Twitter is srbaker, and uh, my website is stephenrbaker.com. And uh, just don't forget that middle initial, and uh, that's uh, that's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, Abby. It's been great. That's our show. Hope you've enjoyed it. To subscribe, if you haven't already, or to check out more interviews and articles about remote work, go to wideteams.com. You can also find the show in the iTunes Music Store, where reviews are always very welcome. The Wide Teams podcast is is distributed under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 license. Our music is by Giles Boquette. Until next week, this is Avdi Grimm, signing off. (laughs) 